0: Welcome to episode 18 of Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina Cook. I'm the Indian, Keith Nobles. And I almost interrupted your beer drinking. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) But I didn't, but I didn't. So we are, if you haven't been listening to us up until now, we are trying to unpack the left's progressive agenda and create that framework that's necessary to understand the whack a mollery there, I just made up a new word. It's good. good. The whackamolery of of what the progressive left does, and and what we've been talking about, what we talked about on the last episode, we're going to continue the subject today is racism, which is one of the moles that pops up all the time. Um, and you gotta you gotta whack it on the head. Boy, I'm sure that somebody's going to take that phrase and just really have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm going off the cuff here. You can bear with me. I mean, we've got issues all over the place. We've got transgenderism. We've got you know uh, drag queen story hour. We've got um, you know economic justice and uh, environmental justice and you know all these justices. We've got CRT. We've got you know all sorts of different things that that pop up from the left trying to you know make a mess out of American society. And uh, understanding that there actually is a framework, there is a method to their madness underneath all of this, right? Yes. So, so like I said, we've been talking about racism. So today's question that we're going to answer—this um, one we actually can answer instead of just try to answer—is what is the history? of racism in the U S Yeah, the history of American racism. Let's actually look at the real facts, right? Yeah. And look how we got here. Yeah. How did we get right here? And is the secret to getting out of where we are right here is the secret in our
1: past. Maybe, Um, maybe we'll find it. uh, It is to a large degree. I think we just need to rediscover that moral courage people in the past have shown. I like that.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot. OK, now I told you you're doing the heavy lifting on this one because you've got pages and pages of notes <laughs> and you are also much better versed in history and, and in this particular history than I am. So lead me okay, down this path.
1: So start with the 1619 project. Okay. Like we said before, we mentioned <laughs> they, were, they were the flat earthers of history. Right. Right. And they would lead you to believe certain things. So the 1619 Project omits a lot of history. They would find well, contradictory to their narrative. For, for those who don't know what the 1619 Project is, can you explain what it is? Sure. a series of articles published, I believe, first in the New York Times several years ago. Okay. This has been turned into movies and books and a school curriculum and all sorts of things. But basically it alleges that slavery is the original American sin and the country was founded and built on slavery. Okay, that's and, the gist of the story. And what's the what's the significance of 1619? Uh, that was the year that slaves first showed up, supposed slaves. We'll talk about that. Okay, <laughs> first showed up in Virginia. Okay. Right. First Jamestown. Ones, yeah, first slaves to show up in what would become the United States. Okay. Yeah. And were these transatlantic? Yes. Slaves. Yes. So these were from Africa.
0: Folks yes. from Africa that were brought here. Yes. Presumably against their will. Uh, yes. Although it sounds like we're going to get into that. Yes. <laughs> and to obviously work in the agriculture. Yes. Um, around Jamestown. Yes. Okay. So that's the that's the 1619 project. Yes. And, and the 1619. 1619- Is it all a lie?
1: It, no, it's not all a lie. It is all intended to deceive. I mean, things they say in there are true. It's mostly lies by omission. So okay. things they don't say that would lead you to draw conclusions different than they want you to draw. And that's what so much of our politics is today. Isn't our culture it. is today. It's lies by omission. It's not the people come out and say this, and this is necessarily false. It's all the other things they omit. Well, there are those who do that as well. But, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's the omissions. Yeah, I'd give you an incomplete, and that's really kind of what I was hoping we would start to cover. Okay. At least at the, at the start of sure. this podcast today was some of the history because we have reduced, especially when it comes to things like slavery, Jim Crow, racism. We have reduced American history to cartoon-like caricatures. Yeah. Right? We we haven't really looked at what people were doing, why they were doing it. Now, you may think it's good or bad, evil or magnificent. What any one person did, and that's fine. Right. But first, but, you need to establish the actual facts well, of what. Yeah, happened. but the whole purpose here is that we learn from this. Right. Right. You go, okay, this was a good idea. This was a bad idea. Right. Right. It's not to relitigate history to support whatever policy you prefer today. It's, again, right. We're about the purpose, real purpose podcast. What causes human beings to thrive? Right. And from history, you get very consistent answers. What does and does not cause human beings to thrive? Right. So. Let's look at this. Okay. Okay.
0: So, sixteen nineteen project. Lies 16, of omission.
1: Yeah, lies of omission. Right? They're going to say, okay, these slaves were brought to Virginia, and America was founded on slavery, and these people are—they—they uh, they make very much a white versus black scenario. Right. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk about this. These people did not come to Virginia as slaves in sixteen nineteen. Okay. They were here. There were Africans in America before there were Pilgrims. That's to me. It's probably an important fact. Okay, because the Pilgrims landed is 1620. 1620. 1620. Okay. The next year, Pilgrims would land, okay. right? As we mentioned last podcast, these people who came from Africa have had a meaningful impact on American culture, mm-hmm. right? On who we are as a people, right? It's been a reciprocal relationship. It wasn't just these Africans being forced into some European mode of life, right? It right. went both ways, right? people. Sure. You know, in America, picked up cultural aspects and practices and views from from these Africans as well, and we we tend, in my opinion, to underestimate that. Okay, right. Okay. Can you give me some examples? Um, I, I think a lot of people view uh, a great deal of what happens in evangelical churches as being directly coming from really African culture. Okay. Yes. Yes. People are really familiar with music and sure. art and and some literature and things like that, but. Yeah, I mean, especially especially America. Let's just be blunt, right? American Southern culture picked up a considerable amount from Africans because right. that's where most of the Africans for a long time were concentrated in this country. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, basically to, all the cuisine. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, you go to places like Louisiana, and and oh, it's yeah. really evident. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, we need to to recognize that that it was reciprocated. These culture exchanges. Okay. Right? 1619, these slaves came to Virginia. They actually, the very first, were not actually slaves in the sense that we would know it or the 1619 Project would portray it. They were actually indentured servants and they served for some number of years and then they were freed.
0: Okay. My understanding of an indentured servant at that time was somebody who owed a debt and then they had to discharge
1: the debt through servitude. Yeah, that would be true of the Europeans. That was not so true of the Africans. But the Africans were freed after a period of time. They were treated like indentured servants. It was not just infinite chattel slavery okay. initially. Okay. It pretty quickly turned into that. Okay. But initially, these people, the, the first slaves brought to Virginia were, were actually freed. Those who survived long enough were, were actually freed, right? Okay. So they were not just slaves in Virginia for, you know... Till they died. Right. There was a date. If you could make it alive to that date, you could be free. Okay. Right? Um, That's a little brutal, but... No, yeah. it is brutal. Right? Now, it must be clear, right? It was a brutal life. Right? I mean, it really was. There were Caribbean islands. So, the majority of slaves didn't actually come to what was the United States. They went to South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially Brazil. Okay, And they went to the Caribbean. And some of those... So, wait. let me, Let me unpack that for a
0: second. So... I'm reading Shogun right now. Okay. And it's set in 1600, so around the same time period. Right. The Portuguese rule the seas. Yeah, Portuguese and the
1: Spanish are dominant on the seas. Well, yeah, Portugal yeah. was part of Spain, but Portugal- England is coming up.
0: Well, England's yeah. coming up, and that's yeah. the main character in Shogun is, is an English uh, pilot who knows how to navigate and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But, but Portugal ruled the seas, so yeah. Brazil- Obviously, it was a Brazil, Brazil. Uh, Portuguese colony. Yes, um, and so and were the Portuguese responsible for then for establishing oh yeah. the African oh yeah. slave
1: trade. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The Portuguese were very committed to the African slave trade long after everyone else had outlawed it. Really? Yeah. The United States, France, Great Britain had all outlawed it. Just,
0: just as an editorial aside, maybe it's a good thing that Portugal has nothing to. Uh, to export Fine, right? yeah
1: <laughs> but yeah no i mean they were yeah and Portugal, you know portugal kept their africa like well like many of the european countries like mozambique was a portuguese colony in africa oh
0: i assumed and it was french
1: no okay. mozambique was portuguese and they 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 hung on to those colonies till they got booted out by revolution interesting yeah. okay british and french mostly left voluntarily not all the time but mostly but yeah the portuguese were yeah, they did not want to give up those colonies. That was the last thing they had. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, Portugal was very big in the, the slave trade. Okay. Okay. So yeah, these slaves come over that originally their indentured servants are going to be freed after a period of time. Okay. And then they will, um, I don't think Virginia actually legalized slavery. Oh, I should know this by heart. I think it was 1649. Really? 30 years later, I think. Okay. Right. Until then, everybody's uh technically an indentured servant. And, there is a date okay. that you would be freed. Okay. Okay.
0: Which was part of English common law at that point in time, yes. wasn't it? Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah. And about, yeah, about 1650, you see this change, or there's just chattel slavery. So first of all, 1619 Project likes to portray this as, well, it was racist. It was Europeans you know, grabbing Africans right. and selling them in the new world. But the reality was, okay, most of those slaves, overwhelming majority of those slaves, were sold to Europeans by other Africans. Okay. And there were ports on the west coast of Africa, especially the the northwest coast of Africa, that that was the business. That's what they did. Okay. They traded slaves, right? And there were people who made their living. I mean, basically the way it worked was this. There were people in Africa who made their living by uh, essentially operating armies that would go into the interior of Africa capture large numbers of people, right? Bring them back to these coastal cities. There were things that were called slave forts where they would be held. I've seen I've seen pictures. In fact, I was in
0: one in um in the Virgin Islands. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And these European ships would show up and trade goods mm-hmm. or gold for slaves, put those slaves on the boat, okay. take them to the New World, South America, Caribbean, North America. So, I mean, basically, it was a 3 prong three-legged trade. So, you'd have trade goods that went from Europe to the west coast of Africa, where they would trade those goods for slaves that they got from other Africans, okay? okay? They would take those slaves to the New World, Caribbean, North America, South America. They would trade those slaves for other goods, right? right? Cotton, tobacco, sugarcane would be common. Right. They would then take that back to Europe. That was the, the three-legged trade. Okay. Right? So goods going Europe to Africa, slaves going Africa to the new world, and then products of the new world going from the new world back to Europe. Okay. Right? That, that was it for 200 years, 250 years. Right. Right? That's, that's how it worked. It, it's important to understand this. Okay. Because I know this makes these sixty nine pe- teen people really upset, but it, it's true nonetheless. Right. Okay? The, the part about- This, what, the, what I'm about to say. Oh, okay. okay. These people were not enslaved- Because they were black. Right. Okay. Europeans were not purchasing them because they were black. Europeans were purchasing them because they were available. And and powerless. (laughs) Well, yeah. yeah, they They were for sale as slaves. Right. Right. That's why they were being purchased. That's why the Europeans, if Sweden was conducting raids into Finland... And catching, you know, blonde haired blue-eyed Finnish girls. You'd have it's, a whole bunch of blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, people yeah, <laughs> aching and for reparations yeah, right that's now. That's right, and yeah. selling them. Yeah. yeah, maybe over there buying these fins. Yeah. Right? But that's not who was available at the time. And would it, you really want Vikings... <laughs> um, sorry, that, that would not be good. Well, the, and the thing is, right? And this is important to understand for context. Yeah. And, and people will say, well, you're making excuses. No, it's not an excuse. It's just context. Okay? Right. There were more Europeans sold into slavery in Africa in the Middle East than there were Africans sold into slavery in the New World. Really? Yeah. And that continued at least into the 1920s. Right, especially in the Ottoman Empire. Sure. Where, yeah, I mean, slavery- Which they, they were, were just brutal. Yeah, well, slavery was just the norm. Yeah. And so, yeah, to- Well, to, and
0: slavery has, I, I think it's important to remember too, slavery has been the norm throughout hu-
1: human history. Well, and, and we'll get to that. Okay. That is exactly <laughs> the point I'm about to make here, right? Okay. Because, yeah, slavery is the norm in human history for untold thousands of years. Right. And, and it's normal business, right, yeah. in, in Africa to- have these little armies, private armies, go capture these people, bring them to the coast, and sell them. Right, right. And in fact, this is an aside, but it's a fascinating aside by all the people who claim to be anti-colonialist. Okay, that slave trade in Africa was really ended by British and French colonialism. Really? Yeah. When the British and French started to colonize these, these places they in Western, this Na- they, 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 yeah, they were abolitionists by then. The British and the French, right? And they they stopped the slave trade. So a great example, is Senegal. Which if you listen to the anti-colonial leftist, I'm no fan of colonialism. I'm just stating facts here. Okay. Right? Okay. This is just what happened. But the the people who are virulently anti colonialists do not like this. Okay. Senegal was a pretty wealthy place. Okay. About 1850, the French colonized Senegal. And Senegal became a very, very poor place. And Senegal remains a very, very poor place. Right. The reason is the reason Senegal was a very, very rich place was the slave trade. Uh, That's what made Senegal wealthy, oh, was wow. trading slaves. And the French came in in 1850 and they ended the slave trade and they plunged Senegal into poverty. And Senegal's just never really recovered huh. economically from the fact the French ended the slave trade. That was the economy. Wow. So, you know, again, I... I Talked about the start of this. You know, we've reduced history to cartoon-like caricatures. Right. Right? Without really understanding what really happened in a lot of instances. So you have this colonial America. You have slaves more in some places than in others. Right. Okay? Especially in the South. And the deeper you go into the South, the more slaves. Well, and more agriculture. Well, right? well, it's not just more agriculture, it's a type of agriculture. Right, very right? labor intensive. It, it, yeah, yeah, and very miserable conditions. Right. You have places where if you can hire free labor, it is cheaper to hire free labor than buy slaves. Slaves are expensive. They're expensive to buy, they're expensive to keep. You have to feed them, you have to house them, you have to provide medical care. Right. Free labor. You don't have to do any of that. Right. You just pay them, Right. They're on their own. And they're not free. (laughs) Food, housing, healthcare, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, if you have communities like, I mean, you had in the South, was, and forgive me if I'm, if I'm getting stuff wrong, so please correct me if I am, but in the South, it was much more based on, on basically the English gentry model. Um, Society was, was structured much more along those lines in the North, uh, especially in new England, it was, it was much more the Puritan model, the community Quakers, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you had communities that were were fulfilling.
1: Well, you, you had a profitability factor, right? So it was cheaper to hire free labor. Yeah. Right? In places like New England. Right. Right? Slaves. Okay. Right? And it was easy. There was an abundance of free labor. Right. In places like New England. Okay. Pennsylvania. Okay. Right? Those places, right? There's an abundance of free labor. Right. But if you get to like South Carolina low country. Right. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have not. It is freaking miserable. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a beautiful place to go visit. And it's, it's lots of fun things to do. But if you had to stand out there and work in a cotton or tobacco field for 16 hours it would a day, I would be beyond suck. And so you couldn't hire free labor to do that because yeah. people would go, any other job is better than this one. And they would move on. <laughs> and up. so those places, slavery was profitable right. in an economic sense. Okay, because I can buy these slaves and I can make them go do this horrible work right. where I can't actually hire somebody to voluntarily do that work because it sucks. Yeah. And there's always a better job than that one. Right. Right. And, and so that's kind of how it evolved and would continue to evolve right through the end of the Civil War. So what you have, two, two things, slavery in the colonies and then in America up to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Okay? It, slavery really breaks down to two categories, one of which are people in places, uh, the, the three, really three places, slavery is economically profitable is the South Carolina and Georgia, low country, the black belt in Alabama, which is not called the black belt because slavery is called the black belt because the cold of the soil. Okay. And then the Delta, right? Same. Basically that part of Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Louisiana, south of about, yeah, about the, the Missouri-Arkansas line. Okay. Okay. I mean, and the reason is, these climates are great for growing things. Sure. And they're horrible to live and work in. Right? I mean, that's, that's the relationship, right? And New so Orleans, like I know. these places, yeah. outside of those places, yeah. by and large, not exclusively, but generally, okay, slavery is much more of a prestige thing. Ah. Right? Okay. It was the equivalent of owning a Cadillac or BMW. Right? Oh, uh, and that sounds horrible. horrible, but it was true. Right? That is horrible. If you are a... Yeah, it's horrible, but it's true. If you're a doctor in Charlottesville, Virginia, Mm -hmm. it is a status symbol that you can buy a slave to do the cooking and cleaning and washing and relieve your wife of those duties. You're saying to the world, hey, I am doing really well. Right? Right. I mean, that's what it was. That sounds horrible, but it's true. And there's also the fact, let's just be blunt, right? There's an ego rush to owning another human being. I can't even imagine, honestly. I no, but know. there, there is absolutely we we know it from what people have said and written, and you know, there's an ego rush, right? Ew. I own another human being. I mean, that's that's for a lot of people that feeds their ego. I know it sounds horrible, but it's true, well, right? There's so, a lot of
0: sick people out there. So, no, no,
1: there are, but it's true, right. right? So, what you have here is two situations, one of which relatively rare, which slavery is profitable, mm-hmm. but that relatively rare situations where most of the slaves end up, right? Right, And then these other people, it's, it's a status symbol to own a slave or to own two slaves or three slaves, right? right? You have a farm in Kentucky, you have three slaves. You're just telling your neighbors, I'm doing really well. Right. I can afford three slaves, right? I mean, that's, that's basically what it was. You could have hired in Kentucky free labor yeah. for cheaper than the slaves, but it didn't come with the same status. Ew. No, I know it's, ooh, but I mean, we, we need to talk frankly about, no, no, you know, what this was, right? I mean, it was very much a status, right? Yeah. And so you have people, and this is to be the really interesting part. Over time, you have a number of people who go, okay, this is normal. This is what the world's always been. Right. Greeks and Romans did this. You heard that a lot at that time, from people defending slavery. Well, it's all over the Bible. Yeah, Yeah, well, it's all over the Bible. Greeks and Romans did this, right? This is what the world's been since day one. There's nothing wrong with this. And you have other people who come along and they go, yeah, this is not right.
0: Yeah. This This is really
1: wrong. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, and and the example I was going to use here is Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Okay, Benjamin Franklin owned, uh, I believe, five slaves. Okay. Okay, he owned slaves, right? Through the course of owning slaves... And specifically through the course of getting to know the children of slaves, Benjamin Franklin comes to realize he thinks slavery is wrong. Right. Good. And, and Benjamin Franklin ends up the, in charge of the uh, Abolitionist Society in Philadelphia. God bless Ben. Right. I mean, yeah. Benjamin Franklin comes to do a, a 180 on awesome. this. Right? I okay. mean, he's like, OK, I have slaves. A lot of people in slaves. Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's a status symbol. Right. He has these slaves. He comes to realize their children are no are not inferior to white children. Right. Right. And, and there are schools in Philadelphia for the children of slaves and the children of free blacks. Right. And he, he, he participates in these schools. And Benjamin Franklin's like, yeah, there's no difference in these kids and white kids. Right. Right. They're just capable. They're just as intellectually, morally capable as white kids are. Okay. And so, yeah, Benjamin Franklin does this 180. Which, and let's be clear
0: in... The 1700s, when he came to this realization, that was not the normal, at that point in time, that was not the normal viewpoint in society. Now we look at it and go, well, duh. No. But, you know, let's no, make sure is... that we put him in his, in his proper context when you evaluate what you just said. No, no, no that's right?
1: right. I mean, we, we, I'm getting there. Okay. Right. Because okay. here's, here's <laughs> what we do. What we sad sack Americans fail to appreciate in 2023. Okay. Is how revolutionary this is. Yeah. That's what we failed you know, we talked about early on in this series of podcasts, right? All men are created equal, mm-hmm. right? The, the, this and the Declaration of Independence is what makes America exceptional, right? Right? Nobody had ever put those words down on paper in founding a country. But,
0: and I can hear it going through the listeners' heads right now the guy who wrote those words
1: owned, owned slaves. slaves. Yes. And, and Benjamin Franklin owned slaves and George Washington owned slaves, right? And and Thomas Jefferson struggled his whole life with question of slavery, right? But he's the one who wrote those words. He never he wrote those words. But Benjamin Franklin ends up, you know, heading the abolition society, going from slave owner to to leading the abolition society. George Washington frees his slaves, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, yeah, I mean, what you see here is this thousands of years of history, and you see these men, yeah, who wrote those words, yeah, who believe those words, right, going. Hey, you know what? This isn't just for white people. Right. Those people too, right? And they start figuring out how to do this, right? Because this is, yeah, this is a revolutionary thing. It is. Right? How do we do this, right? Which, to advance forward (laughs) a little (laughs) bit, right? Okay, you have the Constitution. It's proposed at the Convention to Outlaw Slavery. Yeah. Okay, Georgia and South Carolina both say, well, we will not join the union if slavery is outlawed. Right. Right, Georgia and South Carolina are going to be the typical culprits here a lot. Right. Okay. So, what they decide on the convention that unity is more important than ending slavery, and they go, "Okay, we're not table the issue for twenty years." Right. Twenty years to the day later, the United States outlaw[s] the slave trade. We don't. No more slaves will be imported. Okay.
0: And that was written into the Constitution. No.
1: No, that was a federal law passed twenty years later, 1808. But what's going to happen is it has these unintended side effects that it makes the existing slaves much more valuable, ah, right? Yes. That's, you're not importing more slaves, yeah. right? It has all these perverse side effects that they did not intend or anticipate, right? Right, And this is gonna create problems between 1808 and 1861, Yeah, okay? Is the value of a slave right. goes up and up and up, right? So for most people who were slave owners in the South, if you own 20 more slaves, you were slaves, you had more capital invested in slavery than you did in land, you, farm implements and all that other stuff. Right. The South land is cheap. Labor is expensive. Right. That's how it's going to work out because the labor is slave labor in these cases and slaves become ever more expensive. Right. Right. So um, you also have, right, Ben Franklin, we have the Slocum family, Massachusetts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I'm familiar with this. Slocum is a slave. Okay. Brought to Massachusetts. Eventually, he becomes free. Okay. Right? Raises a family, and they will raise families, okay? Of people who are going to advocate for the freedom of slaves. And the Slocum family is going to be the driving force when, before the revolution, King George III, okay? Massachusetts, the colony, is going to try and outlaw slavery. And Slocums are the driving force behind this. Okay. Right? Okay, this this family of freed slaves and their descendants, and George III is going to axe that idea. He's not going to let Massachusetts free the slaves. Okay, right. I mean, people need to understand this, right? When we talk about you know America the original sin, it was King George III that prevented slaves from being freed. Right. And then after the revolution, right, the looking family is going to come back, and Massachusetts is going to outlaw slavery. Awesome. No, it is awesome, right? And this is a a. Family of freed slaves. Okay. Family of Africans, their extended family, who, yeah, they're the driving force behind this in Massachusetts. That's really right? cool. No, it is. They're going to stand up and go, hey, it's not American. We're just as good as you are. It's, we're no different than you are. Right. Right. We're, we're all the same. And people go, okay, you know, remember we talked episode five about Indians. Yeah. Okay. We talked about the Cherokees in 1820s, sent those young men yep. to the United States, to the cities mm-hmm. to speak. Right. And try and fight the Democrats' ideas. Right. And people are going to look at them and they're going to say, Oh, these people aren't what they were portrayed to be. Right. Right. These people are intelligent and articulate and polite and well mannered. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not a threat. They're not rooting up the countryside like hogs, like the Democrats said they were. Right. Right. <laughs> they're, you know, they're eloquent speakers. They they know what they're saying. They can make their point. Yeah. Right. And they convince a lot of people. Well, you know, this is what starts happening here. Right. And of course, the one person who is more convincing than anybody else is Frederick Douglass. Right. Right. Okay. Frederick Douglass is a slave. He escapes, he teaches himself to read. He becomes this incredible force for ending slavery because he's so compelling. Right. Right. I mean, how compelling is Frederick Douglass? He writes an open letter to his former slave master. It's a beautiful letter. You can, you can use your favorite search engine and find it, right? It's a beautiful, compelling letter. He writes to this fellow and says, you know, this is morally wrong. Right. You're at heart a good man. Do the right thing and free the rest of your slaves. And man does. Oh, wow. Right. I mean, yeah, his former slave master will free the rest of his slaves because, yeah, Frederick Douglass is going to write this letter and say, I know in your heart you're a good man, and you know in your heart this is wrong, so do the right thing. Oh, my goodness. Right? And I this didn't know is, that part of the story. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, Frederick Douglass does, right? Frederick Douglass becomes the greatest abolitionist, most effective abolitionist in America. Right. Because he is a freed slave. He knows the story. Yeah. This is not theory. This is not- He, he can speak to it with credibility. He can speak to it, yes, with credibility, with experience, right? This is why this is wrong. Yeah. Right. And, and Frederick Douglass, contrary to what the progressives wish was true, is going to defend the Constitution as the world's greatest liberty document. He's going to say the Constitution is not endorsing slavery. The Constitution is what ends slavery. Yeah. Right. The Constitution, the Declaration of Independence is not endorsing slavery. The Declaration of Independence is the basis for which to end slavery. Right. Right. And there is a famous speech. What is the 4th of July to a slave, Mm -hmm. which people should go use their favorite search engine and read. Don't read the snippets of it on progressive websites. Go read the entire speech. Right. Because he is going to castigate his fellow Americans for not doing enough to end slavery. But at the end of the speech, he's going to turn around and say, what a beautiful, great country the United States is, the Constitution is. Right. Because we are the only country in the world. Has this as our founding idea that all men are created equal. Right. Right. We just need to live up to this. Right. That's the exactly. message. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, this is where, where we end up. Right. And as I said before, right, in this, these intervening years after the United States is founded, after the Constitution, mm-hmm. okay, 1803, I believe you have Haiti. Okay. Okay. Haiti, everybody probably knows, an island in the Caribbean. It's a country. Right. Mm-hmm. Haiti was a French colony. Mm-hmm. It was overwhelmingly populated by slaves. Right. Laboring away. Okay. There was a slave revolt in Haiti. Haiti became a country because of that slave revolt. Okay. Basically, the slaves killed every European on the island. Okay. Okay. It's <laughs> effective. Declared they were their own country. Okay. And that's why Haiti is Haiti today. Okay. Right? Okay. And this is, this is how it came to be. Right. Okay. It scares a hell out of people Sure. in the South especially scares the hell out of people in these places. The Delta. Well, the Delta wasn't the Delta yet. We hadn't gotten that far, but the, <laughs> the Black coming, Belt in yeah. Alabama, Georgia, and yeah. South Carolina, low country, right? is really scares the hell out of people. Okay. okay and then 18, 1832, I believe, you have the Nat Turner Revolt. Nat Turner is a slave in oh, Virginia. Right. Nat Turner will start a revolt with fellow slaves okay. and go kind of plantation to plantation, killing white people, Right. Okay. Yeah. And eventually the the local militia shows up and takes care of Nat Turner. And that's the end of that slavery. But again, it scares a hell out of people. Sure. Okay. This is important. And the reason this is important is this, because there's so much misconception about the Civil War and about the 1850s leading up to the Civil War. Right. Among those misconceptions, like I said, it's a cartoon-like caricatures of people. So, I find it really interesting. I think most people should find it interesting. Before the Civil War, people like Jefferson Davis, mm-hmm. Robert E. Lee, James Longstreet, Stonewall Jackson had all privately, at least, voiced that they think slavery is at its end. Slavery will end and it will end sooner rather than later. Right. Right. Okay. So, Stonewall Jackson, uh, before he's Stonewall Jackson, before he is this general, he's a professor of higher mathematics. And on Saturdays, he runs a school in his house for the children of slaves. Really? Yeah. Teaching them reading, writing, history, mathematics, right? And the reason he does this, now I'm not trying to portray these people as some great abolitionist or something like that, right? He believes slavery is going to end soon. He thinks these children should be good citizens, right? So he, he teaches, yeah, he teaches them school. Okay. On Saturdays in his house. And so- um, I did not know that. No, <laughs> this is not as simple as, and again, I'm not sure if Portray these people, some great abolitionists. What I'm trying to say is they all understood the gig was up. Right. right? This was ending. Right. Right. Even by, yeah, by 1860, they all knew it was ending. Right. Jefferson Davis, before he was president of the Confederacy, he was senator from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And he had been a secretary of war. And when he was secretary of war. So Jefferson Davis believed slavery was ending. And he thought, okay, the problem all these people had who were thoughtful enough to realize slavery was ending in the South, all these Southerners, right? How to end it because of Haiti and Nat Turner. How do you end slavery? How do you free the slaves and have them come back and kill us? Which of course is a backhanded admission. They understood how evil slavery was that they believed these people were going to kill them. Yes. Right? I
0: mean, that's really what that is. Well, and it's it's, it's a real question too. And I think that a lot of people don't give enough.
1: No, it's a real question, right? So even these people who believe it's going to end what they don't know how to do is end it. Right. Right? Because of the, the factor of retribution.
0: Well, and not, and not just that. I mean, there were, there were laws about manumission. If you freed your slaves, you had to set them up for success. Yes. Basically. And, and this is
1: part of the reason Thomas Jefferson never freed his slaves. Because he, he couldn't afford it. He yeah. never actually had the money yeah. to free his slaves. He couldn't,
0: he couldn't afford the manumission fees. Right. There's being free, and then there's not having anything to be able to support yourself whereas you have been supported in the past not defending the institution by any stretch of the right, imagination right. but it is a reality of the time that i don't think a lot of people give any thought to
1: no no there are a lot of this people don't give any thought to but yeah robert e lee will free his slaves right right robert e lee inherited the slaves owned them a relatively brief period of time i believe two or three years Freedom. So the worst thing I ever did was own slaves. Yeah. Right. The, the rest of his life, he's like, this is just horrible. Yeah. Right. And, and he's going to free his slaves. Jefferson Davis, when he's Secretary of War, Jefferson Davis has this plan for how to, he thinks, create the conditions to free the slaves. Okay. His plan is uh, absolute fantasy. <laughs> right? okay. You know, it, it is, right? But within. So he's no different from any politician today. (laughs) Well, within the constraints of what he believed, right, that was the best he could do, was come up with this plan that was – it was dependent on a whole series of things happening Mm -hmm. that were unlikely to happen. Right. Right, to get to the point where people go, oh, yeah, let's free the slaves. Okay. Right, that that, you know, these series of events, but he tried to put in motion these series of events. okay, And again, I'm not trying to pay him as an abolitionist. I'm trying to point out these men – understood the gig was up right slavery was ending right right that it was obvious to them right it was okay how's it going to end wasn't the obvious part to them right right and they wanted it to end in a certain way that was how
0: do we make it end so that we're
1: not all murdered in our sleep yeah and and, well and what they thought they had to do was unrealistic right and since that it was not going to happen so they could never actually solve the problem right of, you know, creating these conditions they thought were required in slavery. But nonetheless, and again, my point is not to say Lee or Davis or Jackson or Longstreet or these great abolitionists. My point is they understood the gig was up, right? I Fair mean, enough. this is not a matter of, hey, you know, like, so we have this cartoon like caricatures. Right. That aren't. That they're just they're evil. You know, well, Vaudevillian. Well, well, it's villains. not realistic, right? Because these are real people. Right. And yeah. they have real things at stake. Right. So, on the other hand, you have people like Wade Hampton, who I think we discussed in a previous episode. Wade Hampton, South Carolina. Wade Hampton and his family are the largest slave owners in America. They own 14,000 or so slaves. Oh, my. I mean, yeah, 14,000. It's mind-boggling. I've lived in towns way smaller than that. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they owned uh, across the South Carolina, Georgia, Low Country, and in the Delta. Mm -hmm. They had a number of plantations. And they owned, yeah, 14,000 slaves. Okay. And so he is fully invested yeah. in slavery, right? He, he, if, there, if, if there's writing on the wall, he's erasing it as quick as he can, <laughs> Fair right? I and mean, yeah, he yeah. has no intention of slavery ending, right? right? And, and this is going to matter you know, later on, okay. right? So just to give people an idea, when the Civil War started, there were about 3.95 million slaves, Okay. 31.5 million people in the country, 385,000 slave owners. And most of those owned a handful—one, two, three slaves, right? And then those numbers are skewed by Wade Hampton; those people owning, you know, fourteen thousand slaves, right? So this is really the the problem you end up with, right? It's concentrated, yeah. Right? Like I said, okay, Mississippi and South Carolina, almost half families owned a slave okay. or more. Other places that that numbers much much lower. Okay, but in the Delta, the Low Country, right? Those numbers are are really high, right? There's a lot of slaves and not a lot of white people in those places, right? Because the climate sucks, which is why they have slaves doing the work there, right? Because the climate sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's very skewed. Okay. Right? Yeah. But the problem here is even among people in these places in the South that don't own slaves, it's the fear of freeing slaves, right? Right. This is really the underlying fear of the whole thing. And, of course, John Brown is just the final nail in that coffin. Right. Right. John Brown, Kansas abolitionist. Actually, Ohio originally goes to Kansas, engages in a considerable amount of violence and bleeding Kansas. Mm -hmm. Right. In 1854, federal government passed the Kansas-Nebraska Act. And the short story is Kansas-Nebraska Act. Prior to the Kansas-Nebraska Act, there was what was called the Missouri Compromise. Mm -hmm. So, states above this line on the map would come into the Union as free states. Below that line on the map would come into the Union as slave. Well, Kansas-Nebraska Act said we're going to let these states decide on their own. Sounds fair, right? Let them, (laughs) well, you know, let them (laughs) vote, right? Okay. So, what happens in Kansas is both the pro-slavery and pro-abolition side realize, oh, well, we got to win this election. Get as many people. Yeah. Of our side into this state as we can. And at some point, somebody thinks, oh, well, you know, if we started killing the other guys, <laughs> that will give us a big advantage. I mean, this is basically I end up with bleeding Kansas, right? Okay. I mean, they start killing each other. Jeez. Right? To gain numerical advantage, right? And John Brown's <laughs> a pretty effective guy at killing the pro-slavery side. Did not know this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so um, what happens is John Brown then gathers this... Little ragtag army goes to Harper's Ferry, Virginia, because there's a federal army there, armory there, mm-hmm. federal weapons. He's going to raid the armory, take it over, okay. distribute the weapons to slaves who he is going to free, and they're going to sweep through the South, oh. killing slave owners and freeing slaves. Okay. This obviously does not go over well in the South. Uh, no. 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 And so that sets up the picture of Abraham Lincoln getting elected president. Okay. Right in the Wildest of wild cards, Lincoln wins the 1860 election because Democratic Party is split between two candidates. <laughs> okay. Right? I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's how Lincoln wins, right? He's, Lincoln's not even on the ballot in, I believe, 11 states, <laughs> right? He still gets elected president. Okay. So we fight the Civil War, mm-hmm. okay? Lincoln's president. After this John Brown thing, people, uh, states just leave, right? They just secede, yeah. Yeah, The 13 states eventually... Well, at some point, secede. Right. Fight the Civil War. Seven hundred twenty thousand people die. Right. Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation. The end of eighteen sixty-two. Right. Take effect. Start of eighteen sixty-three. Mm-hmm. War is over. We passed the thirteenth, 14th, fourteenth 14th amendments. Mm-hmm. End slavery. Give these slaves equal rights. Right. Okay. Sixty-nineteen people seem to miss often all the people who fought literally to end slavery. Right. Right. <laughs> they could say. No clue. No, yeah, they think, well, all the white people were for slavery. Well, no, no, no. 720,000 people died, and the majority of those who died were on the side fighting against slavery. Right. I, I mean, you know, yeah, and this is the problem with these kinds of narratives, right? Yeah. Of what they omit. Well, it's the broad brush generalization. Yeah, it's cartoon like caricatures, yeah. right? So after the Civil War, you have federal occupation of these former Confederate states. Right. Okay. You have these. Recently freed slaves. You have the U.S. Army enforcing their rights. Right. And you have in the summer of 1865, the Ku Klux Klan that is formed and starts. Okay. Okay. So you have during the Civil War, both the North and South, right? Regiments are raised by location. So a regiment will come from a city or a county. Okay. Okay. So, you'll have a, you know 18th Mississippi, you'll be from Panola County, Mississippi. It's all guys from Panola County, Mississippi. So, they all know each other. The, right uh, there, yeah. They, yeah, they will all know each other, right? They will spend you know, four years fighting the war. Yeah. When the war's over, everybody in the regiment will go home to Panola County, Mississippi. And they all know each other. They all have a hierarchy. They know who they can trust. They know who they listen to. They know who's in command, mm-hmm. right? Okay, it's this ready made structure. Okay, gotcha. That the Ku Klux Klan is going to adopt. Right. Right. Every county in the South has this. Right. Right. And so you're going to have a fellow become leader of the Ku Klux Klan, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's a general, lieutenant general in the Confederate army. Mm -hmm. He's quite a capable general. Okay. He is going to put his, and before the war, he grows quite wealthy. Okay. As a slave trader. All right. That's what he does for a living. Okay. He's very invested in slavery. Okay. Okay. Now he becomes this general, he becomes... The only person in, in the United States history, four years, he went from, he enlisted as a private and finished as a lieutenant general. Jeez. I mean, he was very, he had no military training whatsoever. He was just a natural at it. Wow. Just like he was a natural at organizing slave training, right? Okay. That he was, became one of the wealthiest people in the country, trading slaves before the war. He now, yeah, he's a very capable general. He now applies all the organizational talent he has. I mean, there's people who think, you know, he was probably an authentic genius. Were the things he applied that genius to worth doing? No. But he was... Well, Nathan that's Bedford what I was, was, was Yeah, he was an authentic genius, right? And so he's going to organize. Right. The Ku Klux Klan is kind of springing up spontaneously. He is going to bring a, an organization to it across 13 states. okay? And he makes it this highly effective insurgency. Sure. And that's what it is, okay? Sure. And something interesting is going to happen. And this is part of the cartoon caricature of our history, okay? David Baird from Ford's going to convert Christianity, right? Oh, really? Yes. And he's going to go, oh, this is wrong. <laughs> and he is going to, in 1869, take his position to disband the Ku Klux Klan. And they won't let it. And, and, well, nobody's going to listen to him. Right. Right? I mean, it's it's off. But he is disgusted by the level of violence, <sighs> right? And then, what you're, you're going to have in 1871, is the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, right? Okay also known as civil rights after 1871, but it's a piece of legislation oriented to the Nathan Bedford Forrest is going to go to Congress and testify for this act.
0: Really? Yeah. 1619 yeah, yeah, people never mentioned no, this no, crap. no, 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 yeah. no.
1: Nathan Bedford Forrest is going to go, the violence is out of control and it's repulsive and I disown it. Okay. Right? I, I <laughs> nice side, Basically, but... he had organized his things. He's like, this is all wrong. Yeah. So- like again, I gotta, I'm I gotta
0: not, just, I just gotta
1: interject here. Yeah. You know, my
0: background, in, my professional background. One of the things that we talk about in fraud examination is the tone at the top. You know, that yeah. kind of sets the tone for the entire organization. So, Nathan, if it's violent, it's not because you know. Yeah. He he was saying, "Oh, let's go out there and protest like Gandhi." I mean, that's, that's No 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 yeah, no 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 I mean, no, no.
1: He organized that. He yeah. was in charge of that. He made. And that. then yes, but he he has a. Complete change of heart. Well,
0: and, and um, I'm, I'm, his maker forgives him, but, you know, I mean, it's...
1: No, and I'm not defending him. I'm okay, just trying to explain. Okay, I just... No, I'm just explaining the series of events. Okay. Right? Okay. There's enough. a series <laughs> of events here, right? Right. Because what's happened is you have Wade Hampton, who we discussed before. Right. South Carolina, right? Does he step up He's, in the days of... He is in charge of South Carolina okay. Ku Klux Klan. You have John Gordon, who'd been Major General in the Confederate Army. He's in charge... Of the Ku Klux Klan in Georgia. Okay. Okay. these things are organized as they were in the Confederate Army. Just like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Generals in charge. And yeah, it's majors, captains, right? I mean, this is how the Ku Klux Klan is organized. This is insurgent army. Okay. Right. The Invisible Empire, they called it. (sighs) Right. And so it's this insurgency, right? And what they're doing is they're fighting to deprive these newly freed slaves of their rights. Right. At the same time, what they're also doing is they're fighting this union occupation. Sure. Right. And there are private armies not associated with the government, Democrat armies, i.e. the Klan uh-huh. and Republican armies that are fighting each other in these southern states in these pitch battles. And they're-, they're Like usually literal battles. Literal battles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the most famous one was the Battle of Liberty Place, 1874 in Louisiana right and and what you have here, right, so you have James Longstreet, who had been a Confederate general, okay, after the war, he flips, he becomes a Republican, and he becomes very pro rights for these recently free slaves, wow, right, okay, okay, and so he is going to command an army of mostly, recently freed slaves. Oh my goodness. And he is going to fight against a guy named Ogden, who was also a Confederate officer, who's commanding this Democrat army made up of Confederate veterans. Jeez. And so this is this is what it is, right? I mean, right. You have these people who actually know what they're doing. Right. Right? Fighting these pitch battles. And some of them, hundreds of people being killed. Oh my goodness. Right? I mean, literally, pitch battles, right? Right. And... The U.S. Army is trying to maintain order and protect these people's rights. Sure. And eventually, Americans just get tired of it. Okay. Right? Just like we got tired of in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's, that's really it. So, um, 1876, George Custer is annihilated, a little bighorn. Right, And all of a sudden, this becomes a bigger problem. The Indian Wars. Yes. Okay. Then, Reconstruction. Okay. okay. So, Rutherford B. Hayes is going to become president. 1877, mm-hmm. he's going to extract from each of these Southern governors, promise to uphold the rights of the newly freed slaves, and he's going to walk away. And of course, these governors did not- Not even close. Uphold those rights. Right. Okay. So, to my point before, because this, this illustrates the problem, okay? Wade Hampton, South Carolina, he's head of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh-huh. He would become governor now. Oh, good great. John Gordon, head of the Ku Klux Klan. They're both former Confederate generals. Yeah. Okay. In Georgia, he's head of the Confederate general- He's so of the Ku Klux Klan. He becomes governor in Georgia. Oh, okay. Okay, so you have this merger of the Ku Klux Klan and the government. In in the South. In in these states. Right. Not in all these Southern states, okay. but in- In certain states. In, in certain states. In the same places slavery was profitable are the same places the Klan will have real power. Sure. Right? Because South Carolina. These,
0: everybody feels slighted by the, well, the Union Army and
1: the war. Well, and, and, and once they become- the institutional power, they're no longer the insurgency. Right. The focus changes. Right. Because the focus before is fighting these federal occupation troops right. and depriving these freed slaves of the rights. Right. Now the focus is really because now they can legally deprive. They passed Jim Crow laws at this point. Yes. Right. You can now just legally deprive these people of the rights. That's what they do. That's no longer a battle. We just pass a law. If you're black, you can't vote. Well, but it's, right. not, it's not constitutional. No, it's oh, not legal. Well, no, no, no. It will be ruled. Massey v. Ferguson is going to rule it constitutional. Are you fucking kidding me? No, no. Separate but equal, right? That's what Massey v. Ferguson is. <sighs> All right. But. I don't know why I didn't know that. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but, but the point is, right? Because this is important to understand. The Ku Klux Klan goes from being an insurgency to being... The power, right. the incumbent power, right? right? And there's still these plantations. I mean, these plantations are now owned by what have been carpetbaggers. People from the north came down, bought them for taxes, bought them for cheap. Sure, sure. Right? They, they need labor. So the focus of the Klan becomes keeping these recently freed slaves and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren on these plantations. <laughs> Right. Not letting them leave. Right. Right. Creating legal and economic conditions where it's they're the same no longer as slaves. it was before. That's right. They're no longer legally slaves, but they're de facto. It's, it's just exactly the same as it was before. Why the hell yes. did we fight a war? Yes. Yeah. And, and this is going to continue. Right. It starts to diminish in the 1920s and 30s a little bit. And the reason it's going to diminish is because change of crops, cattle, Mm-hmm. Away from cotton, tobacco, sugarcane that are labor intensive to cattle, and the other thing that's going to change is farm automation, okay. tractors, sure. and that stuff. Right, you no longer need la- labor. So instead of one guy can plow an entire field instead of a guy 40. Behind, instead of a guy behind a mule. Yeah, right. So what you have now is this shift in these states where you're going to go. Okay, you children, grandchildren of these slaves. It's not a matter of we're gonna keep you on the plantation, we're gonna kick you off the plantation, right? Get the hell out of here. Right. And they're gonna go. They're gonna go to New York and Philadelphia and Detroit and Chicago mm-hmm. and Los Angeles. And that's starting in the 20s and 30s, right? This is the great migration sure. that yeah, you know, that we see yeah. that, that's happening out of the south to other places. So reason we go through all this, <laughs> right? I know, it was a lot because I think it's important people get the history straight of what. What actually happened here? You need
0: to understand the nuance because, I mean, all of history, all of history is not black and white. No, None none of history is black and white. Yeah. So, I mean, if you understand the nuance, you understand the context, you you can better assess, I think, the decisions that were made. It doesn't mean you excuse them, but it does mean that you can assess them. You can learn from them. And you can learn from them. Exactly. History, what's the meme say on on Facebook? History is not there to offend you or not offend you. History is there
1: for you to learn from. Yeah, well, and that's it, right? And there's so much here to learn from. Right. I I mean, we're talking about with Lee, Jackson, Longstreet, Davis. Yeah. Yeah. They believe the gig is up. Yeah. And they say this privately, but there's nobody in the South can say this publicly. There is so much to learn there. If if these guys had come out and felt they could come out and say, you know what?
0: I don't think this is going to last. Let's do something yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. Maybe
1: we wouldn't have fought a damn war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And how many parallels do we have to that today? A bazillion. Exactly. Where these guys didn't feel they could come out and say, yeah, hey, you know what? The gig is up. Let's figure out a way to end this. It's rational and fair. Yeah,
0: there's no You know, no 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 no. You they, have to they, keep those lines of communication open to talk about this stuff so that
1: Yes, but they could not talk about that. They would have been ostracized when people like Wade Hampton. Sure. Right? I mean, this is this is the problem they have. Right. Right? And so, yeah, you couldn't freely discuss these issues even if you know, I mean, Jefferson Davis was president of the Confederacy, and, you know, five years before, he's writing in his diary that yeah, slavery is going to end. Right, right. And yet, you know, now he's the, the president of this country. The slavery forever is enshrined in the the Confederate Constitution. Sure, right.
0: I, I mean, yeah. well, let me let me let me throw out a devil's advocate question on this. If if he felt that way, and and all these generals felt that way, couldn't they have just basically thrown the war? Well, you know, like you like throw a fight. I mean, couldn't they have done that well, and there, saved a hell of a lot of lives?
1: In 1863 and 64, there was a great movement among Confederate generals urging the freeing of the slaves. Okay. Right? Among Confederate generals. Confederate generals on, free the slaves. Yeah. That's how we win the war. Yeah. Right? Free the slaves, take away the reason the, the North is fighting, and we can win the war. Mm-hmm. Right? One of the more interesting things about history if you really want to understand, to me at least, right? Look at Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis. Abraham Lincoln would do what was then thought to be the unthinkable, like the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. Jefferson Davis could not bring himself to do that. Ah, right. Jefferson Davis could not bring himself to free those slaves. So they were,
0: I mean, to 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 blithely put a, a, a not so fine point on it, they were moral cowards.
1: Jefferson, well, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't. Know I mean, if, that's that's that's. that's I, I don't know if coward is too strong because I mean, it would have taken exceptional moral courage mm-hmm. in that environment for Jefferson Davis to go, "Yes, free the slaves and win the war." Yeah, but it became obvious. Yeah, at, at least after Gettysburg, it became obvious the only path you have to win the war is to free the slaves. But the only reason we seceded. Was the slaves right? Right. So, what do we secede for? <laughs>
0: right. I mean, if you this was, secede, I mean, you're basically just conceding the war. It,
1: it, well, yeah. It, at that
0: point, you are. Yeah. Uh, well, you so can.
1: Yeah. You Yeah. Exactly. Is and it, so, but you know, there's just so much to learn here. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's so much to learn about how and why the clan started. Why it hung around another hundred years. Yeah. Right. I I mean, seriously.
0: Right. Why we still have basically Klansmen in office, including the White House. But (laughs) yeah, I I mean. Oh, I didn't say that, Mr. NSA guy who's listening to this podcast. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I mean, you know, and then you have,
1: of course, right. You have the Jim Crow laws, right. right? It says if you're black or any other minority, typically, Mm. right, you can't do this, this, that and the other thing. Right. Right. And so um, an example, uh, this is one of my favorite examples. Okay when Oklahoma came into the Union 18, in 1907, mm-hmm. it was a Southern Democratic Jim Crow machine state. OK. Okay. Jim Crow laws in Oklahoma, they applied to black folks. They also applied to Indians. Ah, and okay. part of those in, uh, laws against Indians were you, you basically couldn't express your culture. you cannot speak your language, you cannot engage in spiritual practices, you could not dance, right, right? Any of those things. Okay, those were all legal. But among those things you couldn't do if you were an Indian was manage a business. Really? Yeah. So Cherokee were, you know, we were remarkably entrepreneurial. So there was a lady, she's since passed away. She's probably 110 years old today. If she was still alive. But there was a lady I knew a long time ago. She, she was elderly then mm-hmm. in, her, in Muldrow, Oklahoma. And her father had owned the bank. Her father was Cherokee. Okay. He had owned the bank when it was Muldrow, Cherokee Nation, Indian Territory. When it became Muldrow, Sequoia County, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. he could still own the bank. He was not allowed to manage his own bank. Oh, he managed it. It was like welfare for white guys. Right? (laughs) That's really what it was. You had to hire a white guy to run the business you own. You couldn't manage your own business. But but this is, there's a fellow, this is the great example to me. Okay. Jocko Clark. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. I have not. Jocko Clark was a United States Navy Admiral in World War II. Okay. Well, before and after World War II. Okay. Jocko Clark was a Cherokee. Okay. Jocko Clark was the first Indian to graduate from the Naval Academy in 1917. Oh wow, okay, because you can't go into business, you can't under these Jim Crow laws. you're Cherokee. yeah you can't go into business, you can't go into law, you can't go into medicine, you can't go into any of these things that Cherokee had traditionally up to that point for a long time been doing, okay, right? You, you just can't you can't get in the medical association, you can't get in the bar Association because right. you're an Indian because of Jim Crow. right, yeah, exactly okay. because of Jim Crow. So the military is an open avenue to you. Gotcha. Jocko Clark gets appointed goes to the Naval Academy. He's a Cherokees, First Indian graduate, 1917. Good for him. Becomes nineteen twenties one of the first uh, naval aviation officers. Okay. Uh, 1930s, starts commanding aircraft carriers. World War II starts. He, he, he's an admiral. Okay. He's commanding task force of aircraft carriers. Oh, my. In the Pacific, right? He's ranging across the Pacific, just kicking Japanese ass. Okay. Okay, this guy's a national freaking hero. Right. Okay. And when the World War II is over after the war, he, he becomes commander of the Southern Fleet. Okay. Okay. I mean, he is, you know, reached the pinnacle. Right. Right. He could not legally manage a freaking grain store in Oklahoma Jeez. because he was a Cherokee. And this is the absurdity of Jim Crow. Well, exactly. Right. I mean, that this guy could not. Yeah. He literally could not have legally managed a grain store, but he's he's commanding. He's an admiral right. commanding task force in the Pacific in World War II. So how much talent was left on
0: the shelf? Well, because of Jim Crow. Yeah.
1: How many people just didn't put forth the effort because they saw no path forward? Right. And at the same time, how many people did remarkable things under Jim Crow? Right. Yeah. I mean, they invented things. They started businesses. They, They got educations. They started schools. Yeah. Right. They did all kinds of remarkable things in the face of these ridiculous hurdles that were put in their way for no other reason than the color of their skin. Right. Yet we don't remember, by and large, we don't remember those names. Right, no. we should be celebrating. We ought to be. those names, yeah. right? Those people. There were there were black folks in the 19th century after the Civil War that became millionaires. Yeah, because they started companies. That's awesome. No, it, it is awesome. Right? I mean, there, there are people started colleges and started schools, and there are people got advanced degrees, and people who yeah, started companies, and people came up with inventions. And
0: well, we and we've talked, and I, and I think that that's in a particular situation. That obviously has been the the bulk of this this podcast. But I, I think that that speaks to the moral agency that we've talked about before. Yeah. That speaks to, you know, people understanding that even in the worst of situations, you can always take action. Yes. You can always take action of some sort or another. You do not have to be the victim of stupid laws like that. You don't have to be the victim of that idiot that you got into a fight with and, you know, lying at the grocery store because you're black and he's white. Yes. You don't have to be the victim. Right. You don't have to to do that. You can take action to make things better Own the responsibility. And that goes back to that uh, Thomas Sowell quote, have we reached the absurdity where people are being made to pay for things they never did. That's
1: right. People... People are responsible for what their ancestors did, but other people are not responsible for what they're doing today.
0: Exactly. If we would just teach folks to 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 stop playing the victim, yeah, life's not terribly fair sometimes. And I mean, if you lived under Jim Crow in the South, it was really, really, really unfair. Yes. And still, people succeeded. Yes. So, how much more are the opportunities today? Yeah. To to take action and do something, if you could just get your brain off of the off the of victim mindset. Yeah. That would be. That's my contribution to today's podcast. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> but, it's, oh, it's, it's, but, sunshine. It's, but it's
1: true, right? Yeah. I mean, that was it, right? I mean, you look back, we should be inspired by these people, what exactly. they accomplished exactly. under Jim Crow. And yet, that doesn't help. Like we talked about in the last podcast, the entire racist paradigm for progressives is one of power because it's a power-based system. Right, power for them. Yes, yeah. well, yes. Which means it's, they have to subjugate, subjugate everybody that's else. That's right. And talking about these people who did remarkable things under Jim Crow, as horrible, evil, and unfair as Jim Crow was. Yes, yes. That these people still, there are people that excelled and did incredible things. Right. Right? Doesn't, they don't like talking about that. They don't want to, to hold up as good
0: examples people who claim their personal power because they don't want people to emulate them.
1: No, they no exactly. Am I right? <laughs> no, 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 exactly. I mean, they they want people to divide into perpetrators and victims, right? And they're going to ignore the actual perpetrators and victims because not that's not particularly politically helpful to them today. No, no, yeah. I mean
0: that's and that's what it comes back to, and I. I feel like we've got probably another 60 years worth of history
1: that we could cover, at least. I think it's important, right? We just we set some of these things straight Uh because, like I said, I mean, we reduce this to cartoon like caricatures. Which is,
0: I mean, simplifying things, dumbing things down and leaving out all the context is exactly their tactic. And and that's the 1619 project, along with every single other leftist progressive on the planet. Yeah, that's exactly what they do because
1: actual truth never serves their narrative. No, and well, their narrative is all about power. Bingo. So if it's true and it helps them attain power, they will say it. If it's mm-hmm. false and they help them attain power, they will say it. If they need to omit it, yeah. it, they will admit it. If it's true and but it doesn't serve the agenda, that, then that's yeah. right. But what we we forget. And this is important, right? Going back, and we started this talking about Benjamin Franklin, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming in charge of the abolitionist society. Right. Right? And going from being a slaveholder going, "Hey, these people aren't inferior." Yeah. Right? I mean, that was yeah. really his conclusion. Yeah. Right? So, really be a slave or I want to be an abolitionist. Yeah. Right? I mean, making this this And Ben like, never did anything halfway. No, but he so. made this dramatic shift. Yeah. Right? And we lose how original and unique that was yeah. in the world at that time. Because
0: they made it commonplace. Well, right. They, and, and I mean, I think, I think that's really kind of the thing, you know, the, the, the benefits, the 1619 project and all of these leftist assholes out there, you know, talking about how bad America is and how, you know, awful white people are always have been since the beginning of time. And, the, the reason why they're free to say that is because a bunch of white people, a bunch of white guys died to create this country based on that moral declaration in the Declaration of Independence. So the reason why they're free to say these things on a computer that some, you know, white guy invented, you know, I mean, this, let's let's remember the contributions and understand the, the context in which all this was happening. So yeah. Ben Franklin becoming an abolitionist, well, everybody became abolitionists, not you know we, I mean within a century,
1: yeah well, no not, exactly, not everybody, but I mean, uh, the vast majority of people became no, became it, abolitionists, it, it, exactly. Well. we took the United States, that statement, right, all men are created equal right is responsible for ending we don't know how many thousands of years of and slavery it was so unusual at the time, yes, that was it, right, that statement, right, that England looked at that, France looked at that, and thought, yeah, the slavery thing is. Not okay, <laughs> right, right? I, I mean, yeah, you know, we spread that around the world, right. And well, and, and is what arguably the most remarkable thing that's happened in human history was ending slavery, absolutely,
0: yeah, absolutely, all right, Keith, I think that we should put a lid on this one, okay <laughs> thank you for thank you for all the history because there's so much that I didn't know and and i really appreciate that. um and i'm going to have to go back and listen to this one again just to kind of grasp a lot of what a lot of what you said. so uh if you enjoyed this as much as i did then i hope that uh, you dear listener will go to apple podcasts or to spotify leave us a review or really help us out. you can uh, like and subscribe and uh, get us downloaded every week we try to put out episodes. well, except for the break that we took for tech problems. We do put out episodes every Sunday and uh, and get this out to you. And uh, you can also interact with us on Facebook if you come and find Cowgirls and Indians. Thanks so much. Thank you.